Hello and welcome to Open Swim. You're here with your hosts, Hallie Bram Kogelshots. Eric Kogelshots. Brian Andrew Jasinski. Jennifer Cho Salaf. And a new addition to the team as All of today. Right. Alex Knight. All right. Welcome to the team, Alex. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. We are so happy that you're here. So Alex has actually been with the firm one whole excruciating week. <laughs> yeah, he made it through it. <laughs> and he survived. He's still here. So we're, still here. We're glad. <laughs> we're, we're glad he made it through the gauntlet um, that is week one at any new job. But Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, thank you, everyone. I'm really excited to be part of the team at Shark and Minnow. And I'm really excited to experience my first open swim uh, recording. So Alex, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? What are the fun facts that everyone needs to know about you? Me in a nutshell. Um, so I graduated from Walsh University last April, um, which is in North Canton, Ohio, uh, where I majored in marketing and political science. I played football in both high school and Walsh. So that was a great experience. Um, I was a kicker and punter and just punted um, at Walsh, but did both in high school. Well, and I think you have like a record under your belt, if I recall correctly. You have a correctly. fun fact. Um, yeah, I don't talk about it too often because I don't like to brag. <laughs> or well, you're not bragging because I made you answer this question. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so my, was it my senior year? I kicked a punt that was the longest in Walsh history. It was 76 yards. That's and crazy. So my, name is on a, my name is on a little kind of plaque in the athletic building with other football and sports records, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. And like the the previous record was from, I think, 97. So hopefully it doesn't get broken for a while. Yeah. So do you know the person that held the record before you broke it? I don't know. And I don't know if they know. Oh, he's coming for you when he finds out. He might might be a little angry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have a surprise. He's here. (laughs) (laughs) He's in the corner. (laughs) Alex, run! Come on! (laughs) Kick him! (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, in my spare time, I'm really into sports, playing sports and watching sports, reading sports, what I've done my whole life. So it's a big part of me. And then in my spare time, I just like keeping up with current news, politics, technology, business, and spending time with my girlfriend. So we're super excited to have Alex with us. We're really glad he's joining the team. And it's a really good moment to revisit some of the things that we talk about on a regular basis here around the office. It's easy to get stuck in our own little insular world. Um, And one of the things we talk a lot about on a daily basis is user experience or UX, um, because there are a lot of things that we activate on for clients that have um, a UX component to them. And um, it's, t- it's very fortuitous because actually Eric and Brian just came back from a conference having to do all with UX. So we thought it was a good time to talk a little bit about what they heard there, some things that helped to frame up this conversation and perhaps ways that you can apply UX principles to whatever it is that you're working on. So yes, we, Eric and I just returned back from Cincinnati from the Midwest UX, the seventh annual Midwest UX. And this was my first time attending and Eric, this was your third and yeah, it's this this three-day conference designed to revolve around UX, user experience, and several different perspectives from people that are in the field, as well as people that aren't necessarily in the user experience field, but their thoughts on progress and human interactivity and how those principles apply to the school of user experience. 
I think that's really interesting, Brian, because people think of UX as being very narrow field, very digital, but there are so many different ways that you can apply it outside of, let's say, you know, where it was used initially, which is a website, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and I think the first year I went to Midwest UX was in Grand Rapids, and I remember I actually came for the, the first day, which is all work sessions, and I remember there was someone who attended the work session I was in, and it, he was an architect, and he got up there and explained what he did and how it was different than an information architect. So it was, it was really interesting to see how that word architecture is used and played out because historically people know architecture as buildings and places. And then through technology, it's been morphed into interfaces and information and how you arrange the data. So I thought that was re- really interesting. That's kind of stuck with me that these different disciplines can come together under your user experience. So this year, getting the chance to experience it with Brian, a true designer, was really exciting for me because we were able to look at the concept of user experience through different lenses and different perspectives. And I, and I think that's really what's interesting about user experience overall, because it's it's a mindset, just like design thinking is a mindset. It's been around for centuries, really, if you think about it in that way. It's rooted in the disciplines of science, technology, psychology, anthropology, engineering, ergonomics, and technology. Married with sociology. That's what I really took out of it, was this concept of sociology and interactivity and almost uh, almost a lesson in manners. My perspective as a designer coming into this conference who is on a day-to-day basis solving problems, be it uh, a visual problem or a communication challenge, I was curious what the translation would be in terms of the philosophies behind user experience. And increasing, it became increasingly aware to me as I listened to these professionals in this environment, that are in this environment on a day-to-day basis, the the differences weren't as great as I thought they might be. And a lot of what a lot of the principles and a lot of the beliefs that I have as a designer, no matter what the platform is, be it digital, be it print, be it social media, the conscientious attention that you need to have to your audience and to the message that you're putting out was very much something that Midwest UX spoke to. And it it became inherent to me that it's these principles that are really the core of not just user experience, but design itself. Well, and I think that's probably a pretty significant portion of what they're hoping. um, Any, anyone who deals with UX is hoping that people take away is that it isn't just a, a methodology that lives within a box. It's something that they're hoping that you can apply um, to many different forms of development. So it seems like there's a set of principles that exist, whether you're applying it to something in the digital space or something offline. So what are some of those defining principles? Why do they matter? And you know, maybe let's talk a little bit about how UX came to be, and that'll give us some clues into... Um, where we're at now with this field and where it goes from here. This entire field has transformed throughout its history. And, and that's largely due to technology, focusing first on the interface and an understanding how the data and information is arranged to something now more overarching or global with the idea of user experience, human-centered design, and customer experience. But I think what Brian said earlier about the idea of sociology is really important. It did come through for me as well at the conference, which is 
design thinking teaches us to have empathy with the end user or the audience. But at Midwest UX, they really focus on this idea of having also humility so that we can put our preconceived notions aside and really understand the audience and be equals. Well, and it seems like this takes it a little bit further than what we've been traditionally thinking of as understanding your audience in a communication sense for, you know, decades and decades. It's not just about understanding them, but it seems like that's where the experience part comes. Exactly. And a lot of this conversation around humility has to do with the current climate that we're in politically in the country, but it's really important to understand your audience in this way. And that's really where UX starts. And for us, what's really interesting about the idea of Midwest UX is it's a great representation of this discipline that started in the Midwest and how it grew to something that's really across the country and across the world. So Examples of this are David and Tom Kelly, who founded IDEO. They're from Barberton, Ohio. Adaptive Path, which is one of the largest user experience firms in, in the world and which is now owned by Capital One, um, was started by multiple founders, but three of them were from the Midwest. Janice Frazier from Ohio University, Mike Kunyaski from University of Michigan, Jeff Ravine from Calvin College in Grand Rapids. And then the idea of information architecture, once that became known and, and really as a discipline, they created the Institute, the in Information Architecture Institute, which was founded by Louis Rosenfeld, who in the UX world people know as the Rosenfeld Publications that create all the books for the industry. Uh, he's originally from University of Michigan. And then Christine Watke from Iowa City was also one of the founders of the Information Architecture Institute. Other examples, Carl Fass, who was a former professor of user experience design at Kent State University. He is someone who's a real leader in the industry and then just the idea that the midwest ux conference exists here in in the midwest and it just highlights these great people and thanks to eric Dahl and brandon stevens who created the conference we get to experience these great speakers from across the country in the midwest that's something that's really cool that they've developed this conference right where it all began as well you know it's not just for people that live in the midwest just happens to be the birthplace of the incubator this, yeah of this of this movement and if you don't know about midwest ux it rotates cities every year the first two years were in columbus where it was created but now they, they go to different cities in the midwest to expose different midwesterns to the disciplines and give different speakers the opportunity to come and present their thoughts and ideas so what is it about the midwest what are attributes about the midwest as i speak to three midwesterners born and bred um what attributes about this part of the United States parallels what you guys experienced? Or, I mean, I don't think it's an accident that UX was born in the Midwest. During the Midwest UX conference, it came to me the idea that a lot of the speakers and people involved in UX are from the Midwest. And this conference just highlights all those people. So I was taking notes around the idea of what makes someone unique from the Midwest. And those attributes or principles really are the idea of honesty and integrity, respect and kindness and having empathy, dedication and reliability, curiosity and inventive, quality and excellence, and the idea of collaboration. These are all examples of things we've seen from Midwestern inventors throughout time. And I think one great example of that is, is Henry Ford. So the idea that he was inventive and curious, he had this relentless unrest making things more efficient just like he did with the assembly line and of course the introduction of the vehicle and how that just grew and he owned that industry 
Yeah, Henry Ford's a great example because, you know, you think about the famous quote of like, if I if I ask people what they wanted, they'd tell me faster horses. And the whole thing is it takes innovative minds like that that have empathy for the, the core issues that you're really trying to solve. You know, as Brian mentioned before, you know, design, the hope is at least that it in a simple way, you know, helps to solve big problems of our day. That's a great example of somebody who did just that. You know, he innovated, he used the tools at his disposal to be able to solve those problems. And one of the ways that he attacked that problem was through the design of the Model T. So it's clear that many of the principles that you talked about influenced his ability to be successful in that endeavor. And some of those same principles apply to other innovators that we've seen throughout history. So a good example of that is Leonardo da Vinci. So he never had true design principles when he was conducting his work, when he was sketching and, and designing and creating. However, after the fact, kind of a retrospective of the book, How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci, was written by Michael Gelb. And it outlines what those principles would have been for Leonardo da Vinci. And a lot of those same principles from the Midwestern mindset apply here with Leonardo da Vinci. The idea of curiosity independent thinking so having the time to really understand your knowledge and be persistent and focus on those opportunities to improve um, also the idea of refining your senses embracing uncertainty the balance of art and science mind and body and then interconnectedness some of these principles are also inherent in the western mindset another case study that exemplifies this idea of these design principles or principles that are from the midwest is Dieter rams so he's best known as the designer behind iconic brand products, whether they be clocks, radios, or calculators. And that design aesthetic has stayed with the brand for years after his departure with, from the organization. He famously defined 10 principles for good design. And they are innovative, makes a product useful, aesthetic, makes a product understandable, it's unobtrusive, honest, long-lasting, thorough down to the last detail, environmentally friendly, and has as little design as possible. That last point is something I think about all the time with Brian in that his design approach really does take the concept down to the, the most essential elements of the piece to communicate that in some way. And it's also the mantra here at Shark and Mill to make the complex simple. So that really stands out to me as something that's powerful. The elements of these principles that I think stands out as being Midwestern is the idea of honesty and needed to understand that we should not manipulate the consumer at any point. We, we don't want to take any compromises. If we can't make promises that we can keep, then we shouldn't do it. I think all of those principles too are interconnected. You, in a sense, you can't have one without another. You can look at the idea, his concept of is as little design as possible as the foundation, which to me speaks to there's a, efficiency and a quickness to it which equates to an honesty so you don't have all of these distractions and no distractions and there's nothing superfluous to the design there was an important philosophy behind the thoughts that a lot of the speakers were sharing at midwest ux was this simplicity and the straightforwardness with the user and the recipient of whatever the product service or experience was eric what i think is interesting out of those guiding principles that Dieter has set out as you know the parameters for what good design is um, what it comes down to is the the final one which is is as little design as possible which acts as the foundation that they all can be a part of in terms of 
you know, honesty and integrity because there's no, there's nothing superfluous about the design. There's, it's efficient and it, it cuts to the quick in a sense. Um, and, and that, that statement of it cuts to the quick in no way is meant to sound cold. It, it's more that you're creating the simplicity uh, and this guiding roadmap for the users within their experience, which, you know, it, it takes away the confusion, it takes away the clutter. So, you know, I think the job of any designer, and going back to what you said about Charcomino, is making the complex simple. So there's a lot of times when something can appear simple or sound simple, uh, there's a lot of thought behind it that allows the user and the viewer to see it as something that's quick and efficient and, and reads clean, in a clean manner. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this idea that design should be, this idea that design to some extent, good design should be unseen is kind of interesting because, you know, you think about some of the things that are happening in the Midwest and and the simplicity that makes them work so well. Um, you know, you're not creating new things. You're just kind of going with the energy of a place or an idea. So I think a really good example of that is this whole farm to table movement that really was born out of places, you know, in the Midwest, uh, mostly because we have access to agriculture. Um, but, you know, it's a perfect example of let's not fix what's not broken. Let's just eat things that are in season rather than trying to import foods that aren't grown here. So I think that Midwesterners are very resourceful in that sense, and that's a probably a, a huge parallel in why this this field was born here. These these principles, um, you know, kind of resonate so much with people that happen to make their career here. So how are these theories constructed in such a way that they can apply to things outside of the digital world? For me, I've always viewed user experience as deeply rooted in the scientific method, starting with observation, having that question, conducting the research, defining what your hypothesis is, and then testing it, and then making some type of conclusion or theory after you analyze the data. That has been the basis for information architecture and user experience all the way through to human-centered design. So it's taking the, this idea or methodology that's been used in science for years, but transforming it to apply to the different environments that it is in, mainly because of technology. When we hear about information architecture, that's really the idea of organizing and structuring all the, the data in a way that information can be translated in a seamless, effective way. When we think about the interface or the user interface, it's really the elements that the user interacts with when engaging with the computer system. When we think about the UI design, it's really the idea of understanding all the right interface elements and how to arrange them so that the user's interaction can be as efficient or simple as possible. And one of the main applications here in UI design is the idea of a heuristic review, an evaluation, an expert analysis, so that you can look at a website or a piece of software to understand how you can make that process even easier. From there, we move into the idea of interaction and interaction design. It's the idea of how you can design the structure and behavior of these interactive systems. It's really about the, the relationship. From interaction, we move to the idea of usability, and that's really about understanding how the user is able to learn, 
how to make the experience more efficient. Is it memorable? What type of errors are they experiencing? And are, is there some type of satisfaction when they engage with the experience? Lastly is the idea of user experience, which is defined by Jacob Nielsen as all aspects of the end user's interaction with the company, its services, and products. The phrase user experience really wasn't coined until around 1993 when Don Norman, Jacob Nielsen's partner, joined Apple as vice president of the Advanced Technology Group. In retrospective, he invented the term because he thought human interface and usability were too narrow. So that really takes us today where we are at where we think about the holistic experience that humans go through as they interact with digital and analog experiences. While information architecture, user interface design, interaction design, user experience, and even human-centered design are quite different, there are several similarities as each apply design principles based on human behavior to guide creative problem solving with innovation as the outcome. This episode, My Bigger Boat goes out to, fittingly, the city of Cincinnati, where this year's Midwest UX was held. I had never been to Cincinnati other than, as a child, going to Kings Island, of course, and two, actually, no, four years ago, attending a wedding. And the wedding was actually at the Music Hall in the Over the Rhine area of Cincinnati, which is coincidentally right next door to where Midwest UX was held. And I have to say, I always know that a city made an impression on me when I'm very jealous of some of the establishments that are there. So I was just incredibly impressed. I had never really explored Cincinnati as a city itself, and the downtown was incredibly alive and much more active than I had expected it to be. And I absolutely loved the Over the Rhine area, just all the small businesses, the old architecture that had been reclaimed and reinvented. And even the business district um, where Procter & Gamble was located was Eric and I as we walked through the city because he and I did not have walking direction. We had the inability to do a walking map, um, but it actually was a fortuitous uh, misdirection that allowed us to do a walking tour of the city and um, but just very impressed with Cincinnati and I look forward to visiting it on a more official leisurely way. This episode My Bigger Boat goes out to Carol Smith of IBM Watson. She spoke at Midwest UX in Cincy and she talked a lot about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and cognitive computing. If you want to check out her presentation it's on SlideShare. Uh, It's at slideshare.net slash carologic. Well, since this is our October episode, my bigger boat goes out to Reese's Peanut Butter Cups because (laughs) I'm really sad as a super, super eater of peanut butter that now there's so much hate in the candy world for peanut butter. And um, I I, I don't mean to make light of peanut allergies, but I will say 
that that is my favorite candy and uh I hope there are at least a few people giving out Reese's this year. This episode, My Bigger Boat, goes out to, since we're on the topic of design and user experience, to my husband, Carlos Salaf, founder and creative director of Salaf Design. And I met Carlos over 20 years ago. Oh, my God. I think 20 years ago. And he's the first person that really taught me about design and what design is and why it's important. And so I, yeah, he, he deserves a bigger boat. And he's put blood, sweat, and tears into this collection of cars that he's designing. If you're interested, check it out on salaf.com. And his um, second collection, uh, he's finishing up the design. Actually, I'm sorry, he's done with the design. He's finishing building it in our garage. And he should be finished by the end of the year. So he'll definitely need a literal bigger boat for uh for this car if you want to follow his progress uh, you can check out his instagram at salaf design my bigger boat goes out to elon musk and tesla and not that uh elon and tesla need a bigger boat to begin with but i think what um they are doing in puerto rico needs a bigger boat um so i follow elon musk on instagram and he recently posted i think a few days ago about um hospital uh, Del Nino, um, which is a children's hospital in Puerto Rico that has obviously with the hurricanes um, not been able to operate due to a lack of electricity. And so Elon Musk and Tesla have taken it upon themselves to basically just build a project based on solar and battery um, to get that up and running. And so I think that's it's amazing. I think that's amazing. Yeah. And it's so cool. It's been reported that Elon has donated, I think, a quarter of a million dollars to relief efforts. So. I think that's great, and I don't really hear, I haven't heard much about it, about the news, and I probably wouldn't know about it if I didn't follow him on Instagram, so. Mm. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, he definitely needs a shout-out for that. This episode of Open Swim is in support of our friends at Midwest UX, whose unique three-day event combines inspiring talks with hands-on activities presented by a mix of user experience professionals. Learn more at MidwestUXConference.com. Open Swim is brought to you by Shark and Minnow on the web at sharkandminnow.com. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at Shark and Minnow. Technical support and audio production by Eugene Bueller. HR oversight by Marsha Chicone. Fashion policing by Felicia Winfrey.